This morning our sermon is coming from John chapter 5, verses 25 through 29. If you open your copy there, and we're glad to see those of you with us who are visitors. Uh, perhaps it is your first time, your second time, whatever time it is, we're glad you've joined us today. and We hope uh, you return if you choose. And we're glad to see former members as well um, sitting on the front row to my left uh, joined us here. Um, way down in Texas they came up here but people come from across the world and they come from down Texas to come and join us and we're grateful to God for that John chapter 5 text reads as follows truly truly I say to you an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God and those who hear will live For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice, and will come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. I'm using a subject, of course, for this passage of Scripture, the two resurrections. When they write your obituary, that will not be the last word about you. Though they punctuate the final sentence with a period, there will be more to come regarding your future bodily existence. This is, of course, due to Jesus Christ who was raised bodily from the dead on the third day, according to the Scriptures. The same Jesus who died on a cross physically, physically rose from the dead. Likewise, all men, underscore that all men, will be resurrected bodily from the dead. It doesn't matter if you were buried at sea. It doesn't matter if you were cremated. Do understand that God can and will collect your ashes and refashion them into a body, your body. Some who are resurrected will belong to Jesus Christ because they died in the faith. They went to the grave in Christ that is, united to him, savingly. Their sins forgiven, justified by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Others, however, will be resurrected who will have no claim on Christ. They died in their sins without forgiveness. Yet they too will be raised from the dead. Because there are only two kinds of people in the world. And understand that. There are really only two kinds of people when you look at people from God's perspective. Demographers, they like to break us down in certain categories. Ethnicity. Gender. Age. 
Yes, all of those things do distinguish us, but there are really only two kinds of people in the world. The saved and the lost. And what ultimately matters is not your gender, your ethnicity, your nationality. What ultimately matters is which category do you belong to? Are you in the category of the saved or are you in the category of the lost? That's the reality. Only two kinds of people in the world. And therefore, there are only two kinds of physical resurrection. And Jesus Christ, and I like to say this about him, he is the inescapable Christ. And what I mean by that is there's nobody who's ever going to not have to be dealt with by him. He's inescapable. You might say, well, I'm going to live my life. I'm going to do what I want to do. And I am not going to hear or nor believe the gospel of Christ. Do understand that that will not be your means of escape. Jesus Christ is inescapable. For all men will have to stand before him at the appointed time. Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord, is central and he's indispensable figure in both the resurrections that we're discussing this morning. He, in fact, is the one who reverses the normally irreversible condition of physical death. Let me, let me state that again. He is the one who will reverse the normally irreversible condition of biological death. Biological death. You know, people always say, well, they brought them back from the dead. They CPR, you know, and they were dead. I heard this case not long ago. Somebody died three times. I say, really? They died three times? No, no. Clinically, they may claim they're dead, but there's a difference between clinical death and biological death. Am I right, medical people? Say amen. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Biological death, you can't come back from that with CPR. When you experience biological death, you are, as they used to say when I was growing up, show enough dead. But Jesus Christ is the one who reverses biological death. Along with the Father and with the Holy Spirit, he grants life. All the members of the Trinity are involved in this life-giving reality. But Jesus Christ is here the principal figure because God the Father intends that he is honored among men. And he'll give life. Our first heading, therefore, shows his claim regarding this. And it's his claim. These are his words that I just read to you. And our first heading is the life. The life. Verse 25. In these verses, Jesus is telling us what he does now and what he will do in the future with respect to dead people. Two species of dead people are mentioned here, two kinds of dead people, the spiritually dead and the physically dead. All human beings with the exception, of course, of the Lord Jesus Christ, are born spiritually dead. When your little precious one came into the world, do understand he or she came into the world dead spiritually. You came into the world spiritually dead. 
You were separated from God. You were cut off from him because of your sin nature, your fallenness. And all will die physically, except for those who are alive at the rapture of the church. When the rapture occurs, those who are alive will be caught up to meet him in the air. But except for them and except for Enoch in the Old Testament and Elijah, the prophet in the Old Testament, all men die. That's the reality. And it is Jesus who alters the condition of spiritual deadness and physical deadness. And Jesus is emphatic about it. You notice in verse 25, truly, truly, he is being emphatic about what he can do and what he will do. His words, truly, truly, it is as if he is saying, you need to pay attention to what I'm about to say. It is important. And he says here, an hour is coming and now is. This, my friends, is not a contradiction, but our Lord's way of revealing the already not regarding resurrection. The already and the not yet. The coming hour is the time of resurrections Jesus mentions in verses 28 and 29 in our text that I read a moment ago and which will unfold here momentarily. The coming hour Still not yet. That's verses 28 and 29. The now is, you see it in the text, is the already. It's the present time and alludes to spiritual resurrection. I've mentioned it already. All unsaved people are spiritually dead. Ephesians 2 verse 1 couldn't be any clearer. It says this, that they are dead in transgressions and sins. In fact, every person who is a child of God sitting under the sound of my voice this morning, at one point in your life, you were spiritually dead. You're dead in your transgressions and sins. That word, that preposition, in, that you were in the sphere of it. You were enclosed in it. It was your environment. It was your life. It's what you were all about, sin and transgressions. So, well, well how, how, how could I have been spiritually dead? What does that mean, spiritually dead? Let me give you an illustration. Just as a corpse cannot see, hear, or make choices, one who is spiritually dead cannot properly respond to God. That's the reality. We've all seen corpses, and they don't respond. People sometimes act as if dead people can respond. They talk to them. I want to go on record. They can't hear you. There's no stimuli in their ear canal. Though the ear is there, you may see it, but they can't hear you. They're dead. You can talk to them and confess and all the rest. They don't hear you. They can't respond to you. They can't respond to any stimuli in their environment because they are dead. This is why the Bible uses that terminology, spiritual death, because the dead people spiritually cannot respond to God. They're dead. 
no more than a corpse can respond to your conversation with it. The dead cannot do anything to rectify their dead condition. Dead people cannot resurrect themselves. That's so obvious. They cannot give themselves life. Life, therefore, must come from outside themselves. Whether it's spiritual life or eternal life, physical life, it must be given to them. And that life will be given to them from the source of life, the one who gives all life. Our text says this, the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Now, let me explain what our Lord is saying here. He's not merely referring to the hearing of sound, the sound of his voice. In fact, when he speaks about hear the voice of the Son of God, what he is doing, he's equating his voice with his word. Verse 24 lets us know that. He says there, who hears my word. His word is uttered and his word is heard. The word of Jesus is life-giving. This is how it works. The Holy Spirit gives life through the words that Jesus speaks. John 6, 63. The Holy Spirit causes people to be born again by using the word of God. The Spirit of God causes people to be born again by using the words of Jesus Christ. When they hear the words, the Holy Spirit uses those words to bring life to a spiritually dead person. If you're a Christian this morning, that's what happened to you. You heard the gospel. And at that particular point when you were saved, when you heard it, you believed it. It's because the Holy Spirit took the gospel, the words of God, the word of Christ, and applied it to your heart, and you became a new creation in Christ. That moment you became alive. You were no longer dead. You see, the power of Jesus' words called forth spiritually dead to spiritual eternal life. They hear and respond. Somebody says, well, you know, Jesus is not here today. He's not physically present. I, I can't hear his voice, his words. Well, obviously, that's true, but you can still hear his voice. You can still hear his words because we have the word of God. We have his words here. And when you open your, the word of God, you hear Jesus' voice because he speaks through Scripture. You can hear him. People hear and respond to the word of Christ, the word of God, the gospel, because Christ makes them alive through the power of the Spirit. Here's the deal. You say, well, how does that work? May I elaborate further? The power to hear and obey Christ's words comes with a command. Whatever he commands, he gives the power to do. In this case, he's talking about coming to life. Christians are people who have been spiritually resurrected from spiritual death. 
Ephesians chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, the A portion says this, Even when we were dead in our transgressions, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And this, verse 6, and raised us up with him. God did that. We have spiritual resurrection. It's an accomplished fact, and it'll be fully experienced, the resurrection of Christians in the physical sense later on. Now, in verse 26, Jesus explains why he can give spiritual life and eternal life. Somebody says, how can you do this, Jesus? Well, this is how you can do it, verse 26. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. Well, first, our Lord explains the origin of life. Life's origin. You know, people have this debate. They're, they're always looking for the source of life, our origin of life. That's why one of the motives, I think, for people wanting to explore outer space or trying to find another planet where their evolution took place. Because they, they, they don't want to believe the Bible. They say, well, no, no, no. Um, it's like there was this big bang and bang, everything came into existence. Uh, and that's how life developed. You know, that's just utter nonsense. Life cannot come from non-life. That's trying to pull a rabbit out of a hat. There ain't no rabbit in that hat until somebody puts it there. It's optical illusion. Life has a source. It's a supernatural source. The living God is the source of life. Human life, our life, is derived life. It comes to us from outside ourselves. It is not inherent in us. But God the Father, Jesus says, has life in himself. This life is an attribute of God. It is called aseity, A-S-E-I-T-Y, aseity. That's a term for divine self-existence. Life is intrinsic to his being. He does not depend on anything outside himself for anything. He is the foundational being, the source of life and sustenance for all other beings. Exodus chapter 3, verse 14 says this, I am who I am. When he said, I am who I am, what God was saying at the burning bush to Moses is that I am self-existent. I am eternal. I am the one who is and will be. I've always been and always will be. There was no starting point for me and there will be no ending point for me. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. I'm every, I'm living God. Notice he's the living God. In the Old Testament, it's always the living God, the living God, the living God, because they were, in the Old Testament, Jews had to face all of these other gods, these pretenders, and they were nothing but idols. They were dead idols. And God says, in contrast to thee, them, I am the living God. He has life in himself. Underived life. Because he is the eternal one. You'll notice, I skipped on, on purpose, in verse 25 it says, the voice of the Son of God. Um, that's a title, the Son of God. And when Jesus used that title, the Son of God, about himself, and when the Scripture uses it about others, he is equal to God the Father, is what that reveals. The Father and the Son share the same nature or essence. 
The Father and the Son, along with the Holy Spirit, possess all the attributes that constitute deity. And the Jews knew what Jesus was saying. They knew the implication of his words. In verse 18 of John chapter 5, it says this, For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. They got it. They were wrong in what they wanted to do to Jesus. They were right in what he was saying. He is equal with the Father because he shares all the attributes of God the Father because he is God. John, John chapter 1, verse 4 says this about Jesus. It says, in him was life. You notice that? This is the prologue of John, and this takes us all the way back to eternity past. And it says, in him was life. In Jesus, in the word, was life. For all eternity, he possessed self-existence. There was never a point when the second person of the Trinity, whom we know as Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Holy One, did not exist. Now I know what you're thinking. It says in verse 26, so to have life in himself. How can it be that Jesus has self-existence, a seity, yet he says the Father gave him or granted to him to have life in himself? That, that, that seems like a real mystery. It would be if we didn't have biblical revelation. Here's the answer. In his incarnation meaning becoming a man, Jesus gave up the independent use of his divine attributes. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 tell us this. He gave up the independent use of his attributes, his divine prerogatives and privileges, all of that. He didn't, not, he didn't cease being God, but he gave up the independent operation of his attributes when he became a man. But the Father granted him authority to give life during his earthly ministry. That's what Jesus is saying in the bottom of the verse. And then he says earlier, or I should say before that, he says in verse 21, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. He sovereignly bestows life. That's who Jesus Christ is. So the life, whether it's spiritual and eternal life or physical life, it comes from Christ. That's what he's saying. Verse 27, the next heading, the judgment. Jesus also has power and right to judge. God the Father gave him the authority to do this, to execute judgment. For Christians, it will not be a judgment concerning our souls, but an evaluation of our service for rewards. 2 Corinthians 5.10. No, no, no Christian ever has to worry about coming under divine condemnation ever. For if you're in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation. Romans 8, verse 1. For all others, it will be a judgment of their evil works that will show them their just condemnation. That they are being 
condemned rightly because of their sin. In the book of Acts, chapter 17, the Word of God is uh, quite clear. In verses 30 and 31, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. That's one of the consequences of Christ's resurrection. God has proven, I'm going to judge the world through him, and I'm going to let you know I'm going to do it because by the fact I raised him from the dead. That's why you want to repent. Judgment day is coming. And if you needed some assurance that it's going to happen, just know that the Bible talked about Jesus dying, being buried, and raised, and it happened. That's proof that when God says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. Therefore, it's proof that God will judge you if you don't repent. There's the proof. And I'm going to tell you what, don't, don't test it. Don't say, I'm going to just wait and see. Because you're going to wait and see and it's going to be too late when you wait and see and you haven't repented of your sins and come to Christ. You don't want to do that. You want to do it while you can. Judgment will come through him. Back in our text, our passage. It's another reason why Jesus is going to uh, be the judge. Verse 22, for not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son. Jesus is deity. Because he is deity, his judgment will be in perfect concord or harmony with the Father's judgment. There is no daylight between Jesus' judgment and the Father's judgment. And don't think for a moment that, well, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm not going to like Jesus' judgment on me. I'm going I'm to I'm appeal to the Father. I'm, go, I'm going to the appeals court, the higher court. No, I'm going always to the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court of God the Father. Let me tell you, that won't work. Because whatever Jesus judges you, however he judges you, is exactly what the Father judges you. The role of judge is given to Jesus Christ so that he will be honored. John chapter 5, verse 23. Jesus has... God the Father's glory. He shares in it. Isaiah 42, 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another. He calls himself here in verse 27, Jesus does, his favorite title, the Son of Man. The Son of Man alludes to Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and verse 14 is predictive of Jesus himself. It's an Old Testament prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ who will be given dominion over the entire world. He is appointed by God the Father, who is called the Ancient of Days. Jesus will be the absolute Lord and judge of the entire world, sovereign over the human race. When he comes back, and he will, the end of a period of disruption that Revelation talks about, the tribulation period, he is going to gather everybody before him. He's going to judge. It's a sheep and goat judgment. That's one of the judgments that's going to take place. Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 and following. 
So Jesus will execute judgment. He gives life. He will execute judgment. Third heading, the resurrections. The resurrections. And to give life and be the judge of all men was shocking to his unbelieving Jewish hearers. They were saying, what? Are you, you give life? You're going to be the final judge? Really? Jesus here rebukes them. He says, do not marvel at this. In other words, cease your unbelief. Grasp the truth of what I am saying. And he says this, for an hour is coming. states it again. The hour, the period of resurrections from the dead. You better believe it. That hour is fixed on God's calendar. It is a prophecy that will be fulfilled. And Jesus says here, in which all who are in the tombs, verse 28, will hear his voice. The physically dead will hear Jesus' voice. They're going to hear his command to come out of the grave. And you're wondering how that works. Jesus gave us a preview of this. In John chapter 11, verses 43 and 44, his friend, Lazarus, died. And Lazarus had been dead four days. He was dead. And in John chapter 11, verse 43, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings. And his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. The man had been dead four days. His sister said he smells. That is a preview on an individual basis of what Jesus is going to do when he comes back. It won't just be one person. He's going to say, come forth, dead folk, and they're all going to get up. They're going to get up. Nobody's going to say, excuse me. I don't want to show up. Uh-uh. It's going to be the command from the Son of God said, come forth. The cemetery is going to empty out. The mortuary people, they'll lose those bodies. Those urns sitting on somebody's shelf. Those ashes are going to come flying out of there. The miraculous power of the Son of God, whose word is powerful, he gives life, and he says, get up. And they'll be resurrected. That's the reality. You say, well, where are they now? Right now, uh, the souls of the righteous dead are in heaven with Jesus. They don't have their future bodies, but they're there with him. The souls of the unrighteous dead are in Hades and torment. 
whereas the righteous dead are enjoying the presence of God and Christ and the bliss of heaven and the love, the perfection, all of that, they're just being blessed and blessed and blessed and blessed. On the other hand, the unrighteous dead, they're suffering and suffering and suffering. That's why Dante, the Italian poet, said, Abandon all hope, all you who enter here. Talking about hell. There's no hope there. Now, Jesus didn't make a distinction between the two resurrections chronologically. He didn't, he didn't let us know there's a time span between these two resurrections and an interim resurrection. He, he didn't tell us that. He compressed the, the deal for his purposes here. His purpose here said, I, I'm going to raise everybody. We get from progressive revelations, the Bible unfolds more truth as revelation is given to the Bible writers, then we know more about it than what they did at this particular point. But that being said, we do know there are two distinct resurrections and the ones that are here, distinction is made here in verse 29. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life. Resurrection of life, also known as the first resurrection. The life here is eternal life. And what that means is uh, redeemed bodies, glorified bodies. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Jesus is going to give us glorified bodies. Bodies suited for heaven, the resurrection. You see, you have to have a, the right kind of body to be in the new heavens and the new earth, and Jesus will supply that. And when this happens, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 54 and 55. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? Your victory. O death, where is your sting? Paul taunts death, personifies death, and says, hey, where's your power? Because once we have our glorified bodies, death will be done for us. There's one other thing here we need to address. It says in the text, the good deeds to a resurrection of life. The, the good deeds. Whoa, 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 whoa. What are we, good deeds? You mean that's how you get there? You got to do good deeds and you'll get resurrected to the resurrection of life? Oh, so I just have to work my way in, right? Yes, that's what I always thought. I just need to do a bunch of good deeds, help little old ladies across the street and that sort of thing. And, and I'm in. Buy some Girl Scout cookies and um, do something down at the church. And, and uh, No, that's not what he means at all. John chapter 6. There's only one work that a person can do that's acceptable by God. It says here, John 6, 29, Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Believe on him. Good deeds are the result of salvation. They're the evidence of it. When a person really has come to Christ, they do good deeds, righteous deeds, the things that the Bible 
gives and commands in the New Testament for us to do. Those are good deeds. It comes from a renewed life and renewed heart, transformed soul. Well, there's another we have to address. That's the other resurrection, the unpleasant one. And Jesus calls it the resurrection of judgment. The unsaved are going to be raised. They're going to be raised and given a body that is suitable for eternity. And this is at the end of history. This is the sad reality. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. And you'll see it. Verse 11, I, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it. That's Jesus Christ. Remember, he's been given the right to judge from the Father. From whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, hot big shots and the no shots standing before the throne and books were open and another book was open which is the book of life and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds their sinful deeds will be listed in the books Verse 13, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it because Jesus had summoned them by his powerful word, resurrected them. And the dead and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them according to their deeds. Everyone be brought before the Lord Jesus Christ then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, the book of life is the book where um, a person's name is who is a Christian, who's saved. And instead of where their name could have been, it's not there. And in the books of, of deeds, the deeds that they committed in their lifetime are there. So they refused Christ and they did evil deeds. So if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. He'll have a body that will be able to endure the punishment of the lake of fire forever. A body that will not burn up it will exist throughout all eternity, enduring the pains of the lake of fire. Hmm. You say, man, that's just not very encouraging. Folks, we, uh, we live in a universe that was created and governed by a holy God. He sets the rules. 
He determines by his law what will be and what won't be. He's God. He's infinite. We're finite. We have a little understanding about a few things. He knows everything. We have a little power. He has all power. He is the eternal living God. He was here before we got here. He'll be here after we're all in our grave. The reason you're here and the reason you're breathing is because he allowed you to do it. He's keeping your life for in him we live, move, and have our being. We would have no being without him. He is the Lord. And because he's the Lord, he's sovereign, and he determines the disposition of human beings. And he is the one who's running things. Don't think because you have a little power authority someplace at home or a job that you're in charge. No, no, you're not. You're just a small little somebody somewhere. And I don't mean that in a belittling sense. I'm trying to help us understand who we are. We're finite creatures. It's the living God. The Lord God omnipotent. So as I conclude... A little summarization. An either or. Either Jesus is your Savior, be your judge. Either Jesus will be your Savior and Lord, and you will participate in the first resurrection, the resurrection of life. Or you will be in the resurrection of judgment. Either you will live on the new earth and new heaven forever in a glorified body serving Christ forever. It's either one or the other. What will you do with Jesus? The resurrected inescapable Lord. Come to him while you have opportunity. Turn to him while you can. Say no to your sin and say yes to Christ. Come to the one who was crucified and died and buried and raised from the dead and says, come, follow me. Come to him. For without Jesus Christ, your future is a very, very bleak one. An eternally bleak one. But with Christ, you'll have a glorious future in which you'll praise and thank God throughout the coming eternal ages for his grace and mercy to you. What will you do with Jesus? The call is for you to respond to him. Let us pray together. Our God and our Father, we thank you for the unfolding of your truth. These things are not the inventions of men. This is your word. Some of us have believed them to the saving of our souls. Some here need to believe them to the saving of their souls. We ask that you grant them your grace. Grant them your mercy. They may come to know the Lord Jesus Christ this very day. We pray it for their sake, for your own glory and praise. We ask in the name of Christ. Amen.